and good morning. Uh, thanks for being here. So continuing the reading of Chittakash Gita as the um, main focus of the continuing discussion, presentation of Nityananda, Life and Teachings. Uh, this is episode 20, I believe. Yeah, 20. Uh, well, I found something interesting. Uh, as usual, part of our study here is the uh, complexity of human translation and interpretation. And same with the other class, reading Sutta Nipata, uh, Pali, Buddhist, original Sutta scripture, finding many te uh, various Buddhist scholars and accomplished teachers with different translations of the same passage, with different interpretations of the same translation. Same here, too, with Chittakash Gita. It seems that there have been multiple translations, not so many, but a few. And I was looking for additional ones because, I mean, Nityananda spoke what became Chittakash Gita as... Um, you know, direct utterances out of trance uh, in particular devotees' homes in, this is southern India, or, or early 1920s, 1922, 24, or 20 to 27. And they were never intended to be um, a foundation for... for um, uh, systematic guidance of students, but in relation to what was happening in the in his in the process with those devotees, so there's some uh, relationship to devotees, and you'll see as we go into further suttas or verses of the Gita today, as I was reading along, and uh, some of it is very cryptic. And some of what he says sounds very much like he was addressing uh, issues of the devotees that they were not uh, conscious of. And then I found, hey, hey, that the translation that I've been working from, working from nichinandatradition.org, uh, this was uh, Captain Hatengi's account, and I guess it was his translation... Uh, coming out of somebody else's translation from 1940, uh, there are other translations that uh, are in some cases, in, in some ways, more accurate and, and less accurate. <laughs> Nityananda did not, you can, it's easy for me to see sometimes that in any one verse, the translator added his own commentary into the verse, not just coming later, but in it itself. And therefore, what might have been eight words became 20 words, uh, Nityananda speaking eight words in a cryptic utterance. Translators who think they know better and think they know how to help you and they think they uh, are making things better for the reader Put, put the words into their own language or put them, you know, do the translation to make it easier, to make it roll or sound better, uh, to help you. Meanwhile, 
much is lost in translation happens uh, every single time and then there's even what's lost um, putting something from a book onto the web page and so what I found was first the link uh, ebdeer.net which seems to be some fellow named Randall Fonts who um, is sort of a self appointed spiritual teacher like some of us are and um, has drawn from uh, a version of Chittagash Gita, he said, published in English as Voice of the Self, translated by M.P. Pandit of Sri Aurobindo Ashram, an Aurobindo, very important philosopher, you know, very quite a, a decent fellow, maybe too intellectual um, in the 20th century, and also the inspiration between, behind the school I went to, California Institute of Integral Studies, uh, founded by a follower of Aurobindo in San Francisco. So this is translated by M.P. Pandit of that ashram, Sri Aurobindo Ashram, published by Ramanat Pai Press in 1962. Hey, hey, when I was born in this lifetime. And then looking further, well, I found the full text of that book, with a PDF even, on archive.org. <laughs> And uh, I'm going to be, and meanwhile, the full text of the book called Voice of the Self, which is basically Chittagash Gita, translated by Pandit, is, um, the full text is reproduced on archive.org. I'll include all the links. And uh, yet, <laughs> the transcription of going from the PDF book to the archive.org text file has some corruption or has some differences as well. So reading from the PDF, reading from the text file on the page, archive.org, of this book, Voice of the Self, then reading from this, uh, this page, uh, ebdeer.net, from Mr. Randall Fonts, I think, uh, claiming to be the same translation, there see some additional differences. All right. So, meanwhile, again, the original of each one of these verses commonly was a few short words uh, and also uh, statements that don't seem to be related to each other in some cases, as we'll see when you get into further um, verses. So, I'm now going to work from multiple translations and I'm going to um, start from the beginning and go through the first verses again with the translations from Nityananda, Tradition.org, uh, presumably from Nitya Sutras, from Rudra Press and Captain Hatengi, and some of the ebdeer.net, which claims to be from M.P. Pandit, and from the PDF of the book Voice of the Self, which claims to be the same, or is also from M.P. Pandit but and the Aurobindo group, but actually seems to be a little different. And I won't deal with the text online because uh, I can't look at four. I can do my best with three. Now, 
before the beginning, I actually want to start from the, the head of the book, Voice of the Self. So we're backing up and reviewing because the, com- the introduction and the preface and the different versions of Voice of the Self was published twice in 62 and 87 uh, in India. It's uh, for the English-speaking uh, Indian audience and came to the West later, while Captain Hatengi's translation was from Rudra Press. Swami Chaitanyananda maybe was part of that later. And that was for the Western English-speaking audience specifically, it seems to me. So I want to kind of go through Voice of the Self from the start. And as you see on the text file on archive.org, and as you would see in the PF, which I which is available from the archive.org site. Uh, There's some interesting um, introductory notes to it. So Voice of the Self is titled Swami Nityananda of Vajreshwari. Vajreshwari, the word Vajreshwari uh, was, I believe, near Bombay, or that's Ganeshpuri, near there. It starts with a quote from Chandogya Upanishad. The quote is, What then is that which dwells within this little abode, this lotus of heart? What is it that must be sought after, inquired about, and realized? Meaning, (laughs) what's in you? The kingdom of heaven is within. What uh, What is within you? that ought to be realized and brought to full flower. You should know it. Published by uh, R. Gopinath Pai. Uh, First edition was 1962, 2,000 copies. Second edition, 1987, 3,000 copies. So you see, (laughs) wonderful books sometimes have very small print runs because they're not meant, because very few people in this world appreciate it. This was published out of Madras, from the Manipal Power Press in Manipal. Dedicated in reverent love and memory to my master. And so this was, and there's a picture of uh, Nichinanda, who they call the sage of Vajrashwari, having an evening walk on the terrace near the Krishna Mandir, and that is, I believe, uh, Ganeshpuri Ashram. And so there's an introduction, and then... There's a preface, and then there's, I think, an introduction, preface to the second edition, and then there's a foreword. <laughs> so you've got all sorts of different uh, comments before the first verse that's translated in this version, Voice of the Self, uh, the Sage of Vajrashari, uh, translated by... Ooh, I guess um, MP Pandit it's not even clear in the book which is strange so let me read the introduction and again I don't agree with everything that uh, everyone, anyone says and uh, you probably don't too but <clears throat> I think that uh, those that wrote the introduction and the foreword and the prefaces 
had an intimacy here with Nityananda, at least if with, with devotees, with the milieu. You have to understand, Nityananda passed in 61, and this was published in 62. So this was uh, fresh um, at the time of his uh, Mahasamadhi. And I can't say that in every verse the translation is superior, but some but in many verses the translation is worth looking into and comparing to the other that appears to be uh, from Captain Hatengi and Rudra Press that came out as the uh, from the page uh, org. <clears throat> so uh, the ebdeer.net page doesn't have the full introduction and foreword and prefaces <clears throat> but they're worth reading. So let's just look in. And this is uh, coming from <laughs> 1962 in southern India, in Madras, uh, a, a boutique boutique publishing firm that was committed to bringing uh, spiritual teaching to the English language, re the English reading audience in India. Introduction. Descent of God into the world takes place often, but the amount of perfection manifested will depend upon the type of the age. Wow, that's just great. Orion is calling me. Uh, we'll have to pause here. So continuing after the interruption, and I'm going to have to try to patch these two files together now. Uh, I'm reading the introduction to the book uh, Voice of the Self which is basically a different translation of the Chittagash Gita apparently by M.P. Pandit of the Sri Aurobindo Ashram published by P. Ramanat Pai Press in 62 <clears throat> although the translation on the website page is different than the translation from some of the PDF from the PDF itself but let me read the introduction and uh, jump in and hopefully there won't be any more calls interrupting uh, this by the way this introduction that I'm going to read is from Swami Chinmayananda who was a direct devotee and there are pictures of Chinmayananda I believe sitting next to Nityananda and so, at this point, we're, we're, the introduction is coming from a Swami, a real sadhu, a real yogi, uh, who was not a direct, de direct disciple, not, not the successor, of course, there wasn't, but a direct devotee who was with Nityananda many times, I believe. <clears throat> and in fact, in some of the previous books that we read, I think you'll hear his name mentioned a couple of times, certainly at the end or when Nityananda was passing. So this is his introduction written in 61 or 62. He wrote, Descent of God into the world takes place often, but the amount of perfection manifested will depend upon the type of the age, meaning the age of uh, humanity, the, the, the specific a point in, in evolution of humanity as a collective. 
and the purpose for which the divine incarnation has taken place. Forced by nature, hurling down itself in a sheer fall from the heights of perfection down to the dust of earth to live therein an earth-bound life, are the men of bondage, Nityabandha Purushas. Now this is something, a term you'll never hear, or almost never hear, Nitya Bandha Purushas. At certain, Purusha is, a, is a, one term for a soul or spiritual soul. <clears throat> Nitya is uh, endless. Bandha, I'm not sure. So Nitya Bandha Purushas, sent down by the Lord and coming down floating like a parachute descent are the perfect masters, Nitya Siddha Purushas, eternal Siddha, which is really like yogi or, or uh, sadhu seeker, Nitya Siddha Purushas, <clears throat> one who with freedom, ease, and grace like the eagle roaming in the heights as they like, now and then sweeping down to the earth to clean and to purify it, is the royal descent of the incarnations, avatara purushas. <clears throat> and so, maybe you've got three types of uh, incarnation. Nitya bandha purushas. Bandha may be um, binding. Bandha as the Sanskrit root for, for the word bondage or binding. So, eternally bound souls, nitya bandha purushas. Then, those that are perfect masters, Nitya Siddha, eternally Siddha or yogic souls, and then those that are uh, basically finished with evolution, akin to guardians or avatars, avatara purushas. Okay. These three types constitute the highest manifestations of truth upon the surface of the earth. Okay, so the men of bondage is a little different. Anyway, he'll explain this. I've never heard this teaching before and you can see I don't study and prepare so fully. Um, I hope you, don't lie, hope you don't mind. These three types constitute the highest manifestations of truth upon the surface of the earth. Because I like this being new. The majority are the men of bondage. A few are perfect men belonging to the second group, while a handful of instances have been noticed in the history of man wherein we can recognize fully the manifestations of the divine in the form of incarnations. That's avatara purushas. So men of bondage, perfect men, and then fully perfected uh, incarnations of probably of, of the divine, meaning the logos. Swami Nityananda of Vajrashwari no doubt belongs to the type of siddhas, the last, but there are flashes in him, <laughs> I say, so maybe he, ah, so this may be that uh, Chinmayananda considered him a Siddha, not an avatar. Mm -hmm. So everybody's got their view. But there are flashes in him of the qualities and beauties that really belong to the avatars. Okay, so he's put him in the second class, not the, not the highest. That's interesting. Uh, I believe there was some conflict at the end where Chinmayananda was not around at Nityananda's Mahasamadhi and there was some issue about that. And that may be why he classes Nityananda in the second, not the third. That's interesting. And so you get then you got splits in the community of devotees 
depending on the quality of their relationship with the teacher mm. and then their differences of opinion. He goes on, the vision of the world as experienced by such perfect men of self-mastery, although he's not considering him an avatar, should necessarily be totally different from our ordinary understanding of life because we look at things and happenings through our mind colored by our own personal interests and attachments. Mm. Distorted by these, we get a perverted vision of the fields of experience while the perfect men emanating from, eliminating the imperfections in themselves look at life from the harmony that they are experiencing in themselves and discover a concord and a joyous love in the world around. <laughs> when such men declare their vision and expound their point of view, we gain a new scripture each time. So, number one, it's interesting that he, Chetan, uh, Chinmayananda, it's Chinmayananda, not Chetanyananda, Chinmayananda, who did know Nityananda personally, and may well have had some conflict with him at the end. I believe, I'm not sure, you know, I don't remember everything. I believe <clears throat> it's possible, what I remember, which may not be true, is that Chinmayananda was not there at the end when Nityananda was departing, and there may well have been some criticism from Nityananda's side against him, or among the devotees around Nityananda against him at that time. <clears throat> and so he's considering Nichananda in the second type of siddhas, not the not the first. <laughs> and then he's examining how Nichananda. I mean, there's a little, you know, um, over overdoneness. So understand that if you think that Nichananda was an avatar, as I do, then this is coming from a person who doesn't see it the same way. And uh, if he's wrong about that, he may be right about many things also. But if he's wrong about not seeing Nityananda as the highest category of uh, incarnate being, uh, there would be other distortions that would manifest in some mistaken view as well. Meanwhile, anything he said could be absolutely true. Too. So, got to look in. So, if you if you seek to learn... Um, gauge the speaker to uh, as part of the assessment of the of the spoken so gauge or assess the development of the speaker uh, in the process of evaluating the statement this is important anyway he goes on swami nityananda after his own self mastery roamed about in the see that's different than nityananda saying all that was finished in the womb Right, there was a phrase that Nichananda was in a room in in the south, and the women were talking about him from a distance. About oh, he must be meditating in the late afternoon. It's a good time for meditation, and hearing their thought, their words, or their thoughts, Nichananda said, um, "All that was finished in the womb." Meanwhile, <clears throat> uh, Chinmayananda's view was that Nichananda, like any ordinary siddha or sadhu had a phase of needing to complete training, and that may be true. You know, I don't know everything either. So, uh, was he perfected fully? What was the purpose of him doing these practices anyway in the first 30 years? They were quite ascetic. Or what was finished in the womb? Who can say? In any case, he goes on. 
or I go on. Swami Nityananda, after his own self-mastery, roamed about in the countryside, expressing through his own presence and activities a magical charm and perfect mastery over even the phenomena of nature. His command was to be obeyed. His words were wisdom. His actions had a peculiar flavor of his own personality. The great saint who ultimately came to settle himself down in Vajrashwari in the early days of roaming reached Mangalore. His uh, conversations, maybe Vajrashwari is in the south, sorry, you know, Vajrashwari may well have been, I, I just forget this, it may have been in the south. Anyway, Mangalore is in the south. His conversations held at random with his disciples and recorded in Kannada, the language, faithfully by a cultured lady disciple, Tulsi Amma, became a scripture for those who knew him and followed his path. These recorded snappy declarations. All right, so this guy is perhaps got something wrong with him. These recorded snappy declarations got in time translated, as far as I know, into Marathi, Malayalam, and English. In 1960, when I visited Vajrashwari, the saint had commended that I should take up the translation of this great work. I tried, but my own limitations compelled me later to approach his divine feet and confess my inability to bring out fully the deep significance of his chiseled ideas. Okay, this is uh, embroidered for the reader. Swami Nityananda did appreciate the spirit in which I confessed, and he then said, Why worry? All will be done. You will see. End quote. When now, all of a sudden, Sri P. Ramanath Pai of Madras, a close devotee of Swamiji from his boyhood days, met me in Bangalore, and in due fulfillment of the benign command to him by the saint to bring out an English, an English version, presented me with Sri M. P. Pandit's liquid translation. Liquid. Uh, and Sri M. P. Pandit. So this is this really is Sri M. P. Pandit. Pandit's translation, and he is from Sri Aurobindo Ashram, and this was called Voice of the South. And he goes on, I knew it must be the divine work of the deathless yogi Nityananda. <clears throat> so, <laughs> just because a guy's a Swami doesn't mean he's finished. And, and even someone who's um, really finished may not be the best, may not offer the best medicine for every uh, patient. And anyone teaching may not be the best uh, fit for any one seeker at any one time. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, some people, when they write, they get very flowery. And um, if a translator becomes flowery, it's really a problem. He goes on, I had gone through the entire translation. They are vivid, brilliant, and even inspired. I can perfectly remember some of the portions of the translation where Sri Pandit has moved away from the original versions meaning there were previous versions he was working with, and in all those places, I know that he had his pen forcefully snatched away from him by the ever-living presence of Swami Nityananda. Mm -hmm. In and through these crisp words, I see the sparkling eyes of the yogi of Vajrashwari. <clears throat> uh, I bet he had an issue with him. His detached life of perfection in which, to him, the work outside was only the activities of his body. He probably didn't love him. <laughs> a scripture should generally contain four parts. A. The goal is to be indicated. B. 
man as he is now is to be painted, c. The path by which the now imperfect can reach the goal of perfection, and d. What would be the man of perfection's attitude to the world after achieving his goal? All these four limbs of the scripture are amply met with in this book, Voice of the Self. All right. <clears throat> uh, though mentions are made of the Hatha Yoga methods, karma, bhakti, and jnana, karma meaning um, activity or work, karma yoga meaning the yoga uh, or approach to spiritual path or aspect of spiritual path associated with uh, works, and do your do your danda, do your responsibility. Bhakti is devotion. Jnan, jan is jana, <coughs> spelled with a G. Uh, jana meaning uh, study, as well as just uh, overall mental mind development, mind knowing, are the very cornerstones of this sacred temple of the self built therein. Even the highest students of philosophy will find it difficult to question the authority of Yogi Nityananda's statements. They are so firmly built upon his own intimate and first-hand experiences. Swami Nityananda is one of the rarest jewels among the saints of the recent India, illiterate and uneducated, though he was, from the standards of the modern concepts of education, he was one of the most cultured men who threw stones at others and blessed them both in their material life and in their spiritual awakening. To repeat, the actual experiences of his devotees the strange method the yogi evolved, the seemingly mad acts he did would read a saga of a hundred Christs living together, each exhibiting his wondrous powers in ameliorating the sufferings of the poor. <clears throat> I bet he didn't understand him. <laughs> at, Va at Vajrasvari, on the jungle banks... Yes, it is Bombay. At Vajrasvari, on the jungle banks of the hot water uh, springs, the tanks, the great saint some 50 miles away from Bombay, has built a township and in the veranda of his hutment lived and worked to bring consolation, comfort, and cure to the suffering locks, meaning millions, ten millions, that reached his feet. In dignified peace and smiling demure, the saint left his body manifestation and entered Mahasamadhi last year on 8th August 1961. His intimate devotees need not feel his absence because the voice of the self, this book, is Swami Nityananda, the unmanifest. <clears throat> Written June 2nd, 1962. Uh, a month and a half after I was uh, incarnate, me, myself. I was born April 62. <clears throat> so that, it's nice to see... <laughs> Somebody saying, uh, entered Mahasamadhi last year, uh, how close he was to the manifestation and Nityananda's presence. So even though um, some of what he writes seems to me uh, quite excessive and, and off, uh, out of alignment, uh, at the end he says, Swami Nityananda, the unmanifest. And that shows... Um, I would say, I mean, you know, everybody's got their own take on this and that and everything. It's good to have an opinion, but it's good to be open-minded to keep learning and reform one's views. Uh, I would imagine that uh, Chinmayananda didn't get him, meaning he didn't really get what Nityananda was about and didn't feel love, but might have felt threatened and a little scared. 
<clears throat> and a little unclear what was going on there. And um, uh, yet at the end he says the, the unmanifest, meaning sort of um, the source of the source. Oh, the, the source uh, of the resonant with the source of creation. Now we have a preface from uh, oh, from P. Ramanat Pai, the publisher uh, in Madras, who this was the preface to the first edition in 62. <clears throat> Interesting. So the, the publisher has his own take and um, worked with some other folks. He writes, this epistle, in its original form, was first recorded in Canada by a cultured lady devotee, Tulsiama, who was then in a distressed condition of mind, and had, in a spirit of complete surrender, sought the Master's divine help and guidance during his sojourn in Mangalore during the years 1923-1928. So you see, everybody's got a different take on it. I think this publisher is uh, quite right thinking. So, this was uh, the book, Chittakash Gita, came out in Mangalore, <clears throat> 1923-1928. The spontaneous words, as they came from the master's mouth, appeared as though they were direct answers to unexpressed queries and doubts entertained by some of the close devotees, who had gathered at his feet, and these were faithfully chronicled, just like I said. <clears throat> they appeared to be his answers to unspoken questions in the minds of the people around him. The master had then come out from his long retreat of yoga sadhana and deep penance in the remote mountain recesses of India from the north, and he was all around, brimful of the knowledge of the highest truths realized and often found himself in Baba Samadhi, Baba, Baba Samadhi is uh, Baba, like Babana, is practice, but it's really beingness or existence, Samadhi. So the, a, a completely um, non-effortful Samadhi, um, where there's no seeking whatsoever. <clears throat> you can say beingness, or, or, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not there, but some kind of... Um, uh, existence as it is, samadhi. Like the great sage Shuka of ancient memory, so the publisher is well read, the master at that time would walk about in the countryside almost nude and bare of body, as if still in communion with nature, in utter disregard of his surroundings and absolutely oblivious to the normal bodily needs of food and shelter. He was even taken by most of the village folk around for a madman for his strange, abnormal behavior and became the target of attacks by the uninformed urchins and unruly elements among them. That's great. <laughs> he was so detached from human convention that the lowest element of the unruly uh, ruffians, the low, <laughs> the bound for hell and criminal uh, cr criminal uh, justice system fellows, uh, thought he was just a dumb hobo. That's just perfect. <clears throat> the good sense of a few wise and saner elements who saw the real, quote, divine madness, it's not even madness, it's just, he's just coming, he's just 
<laughs> way outside of the human mind in a human body, who saw the real divine madness of this great realizer of truth, succeeded, however, in rescuing the master from any possible bodily harm, and he was escorted to their, to their homes in turn. This is a very nice take that I hadn't seen before. Simple, meager food like milk and fruits was all that he could be persuaded to take as and when he liked. I mean, he didn't really care about eating. Nor could he be confined, cooped, and cabined in for long for the benefit of the educated and rich favored few. Like a musk deer which cannot keep the sweet scent and smell of its much-valued musk all to itself, the master would go out into the open, and soon very large numbers of people flocked around this god-man with their long tales of woes and sufferings, mental and bodily ailments of diverse kinds, and no wonder, in a vast number of cases, they were cured by the magic healing touch of the master. So he ain't quite a hobo and a crazy man. <laughs> He's actually doing miraculous healing and magical appearance to everyone without needing food and water. His loving care for the indigent children and poor orphans came less than to the... Uh, his loving care for the indigent children and poor orphans no less than to the suffering humanity was something unique and the same found tangible expression in the starting of new and renovation of old schools, dharmasalas, and poor homes to minister to their needs and alleviate their sufferings in the several places that he visited in later years. So he's taking care of everybody. And so <laughs> he ain't quite on the bottom at all. The master, however, hated sham and hypocrisy, mm -hmm, and never countenanced impostors, and one found him all fury and rage on occasions, and throwing stones and missiles at such people with evil thoughts, even as they approached him from a distance to keep them out of his presence. He knew their mind before they spoke, before they appeared, and met fire with fire, and met their sham and hypocrisy and impost, imposturing uh, with fury and rage on occasions. Yeah, how about that? To keep them out of his presence. How about that? And yet, strangely enough, he conferred his benedictions on them by the same token, and many were the souls thus reclaimed and transformed beyond all recognition, and vast families were saved from virtual wreck and ruin. Vast families were saved from virtual wreck and ruin. How about that? This is not the place to recount the innumerable episodes and incidents of the miracles the Master wrought among the people of all walks of life who came under his magnetic spell, or who came seeking for benign help during his wanderings all over the country. All right, this is a, this is a introduction to Nichinanda that we have not seen elsewhere. Very uh, intimate and um, deeply penetrating, observing, and seeing his, his mind and his being by his activity very clearly one year after his passing, less than a year. As Swami Chinmayanandaji avers in the introduction to this book, it would read like a saga worthy of a hundred Christs, and it would, 
therefore more appropriately form good material for a separate work on the life and mission of the master at a later date. None of the other books, Rudra Press and Rudy and Hatengi's versions and all that other stuff that had not appeared, was long not yet appeared at this point, writing in 62. So yeah, a hundred Christs. How about that? Mm, how about that? And nobody knows in general, except for you <laughs> listening and a few others around this world. Doesn't that just, ain't that just the way it is here? He goes on. The saints' great love and grace shown to the real sadhakas and spiritual seekers who sought his divine guidance was unbounded, and they would always return to their distant homes with a reassurance of mighty and lasting help received in their genuine endeavors thereafter, as if the Master was always by their side. His talks, couched in simple and direct language, with homely similes and common examples from the life around, even while they revealed the highest truths of Vedanta, were shorn of any display of scholarship and verbal jugglery, jugglery, juggling, and they made a direct appeal to the devotees as the home truths he preached had the imprimatur in each case of his own personal experience practiced, lived, and realized fully. Now this guy gets him. <clears throat> Quote, Regard, regard the Lord who is in the heart. Dive into it to discover your own real self. Turn the mind inwards again and again by merging the world in the self. Look, look into the heart, not by the physical sight, but by the subtle vision. To realize oneness in oneself is to attain Brahmanhood. Of all truths, the basic truth is the truth of Brahman, Brahma-tattva. Give up the gross joy, attain the subtler Regard the Parabrahman of eternal delight. You yourself experience that you are the pure consciousness, that thou art. The glory of the experience is the Ananda, Satchit Ananda. <clears throat> That's a quote from Nityananda, I, I guess. <clears throat> End quote. And he goes on. In these prophetic words, the Master has again and again emphasized the very essence of the divine yogic path for spiritual seekers and aspirants to follow and realize in this very life the highest truths of Vedanta and Jivan Mukti, meaning liberation of the soul. May these profound utterances serve to urge them on towards this goal with single-minded devotion and faith, trusting in the continued divine grace and guidance vouchsafed by the Master, and in his certain, in the certain assurance that his spirit still guides them as ever before. There are repetitions of teachings and examples found in the book, and they appear to be unavoidable when considered in relation to the vast and varied types of devotees who came to the Master at different times. So it wasn't only two Tulsiyama or her friends, but others. And the answers and solutions sought for almost uh, sought for almost the same questions and problems would naturally be of an identical nature, meaning different people came seeking with with not only multiple needs but also seeking similar answers to similar questions and problems. These repetitions, moreover, 
No problem. <laughs> Serve to underline and emphasize the great truths in their different facets and to understand them the better. Jottings in the original text are in many places scrappy and perhaps incomplete, as was to be expected in the recording of sporadic and impromptu talks of this kind. It would be lovely to find the original texts all scribbled in Kannada language. They are translated much as they are, and no attempt has been made to improve the style or elegance of the language, if any, in the translation, either in order to preserve as far as possible the natural spontaneity of the words from the master's mouth. Well, it's about time somebody <laughs> doesn't, um, doesn't doodle upon somebody else's words with their translation excesses. He goes on, a word about this publication and the kind of help the publisher has received. The publisher, meaning him, the publisher is greatly indebted to the scholar, statesman, and the popular ex-governor of Bombay, Padma Bhushan Sri Sri Prakasa, Prakasa, for the thought-provoking forward, and that's coming later, the thought-provoking, so that's from the ex-governor of Bombay, the thought-provoking forward he has so kindly written for this book, Sri Sri Prakasa, had occasion to see and talk to the saint on the very vital problems of life that the entire world is facing today when he specifically visited his Vajrashwari home while he was the governor of that state. So Nityananda visited the governor's home, perhaps, or the other way around. He was greatly struck by the unique personality and humanity of the saint in particular, and the great influence he exercised over vast numbers of his devotees and people in general all over the country. Our country, India, our country's genius, lies in its universality of spirit and rare tolerance. Not though today. Our scriptures, not by your politicians, unfortunately, our scriptures assert that the truth is one, and yet it makes generous allowances at the same time for the varied expressions of the one truth. Sri Sri Prakasa has a modern and rationalistic approach and has given forceful expression to the highly complex and difficult nature of the problems of life found in a fear-ridden and war-torn world with their unresolved conflicts in all levels and a solution will no doubt a solution will no doubt has, have to be found for this ere long meaning for this every, before long. <laughs> well, the world is even more fear-ridden than before, and, not, and as war-torn almost as before. And that's because uh, God put the uh, Martians and the Maldex souls here. Boom. These 3D negatives are here. So the Logos populated this cycle of 3D evolution on this planet with souls that are not only decent but 3D repeating inadequately committed to love and truth, but also with a peppering uh, of souls from Mars and Maldek and other 3D negatively oriented planets who are also 3D repeaters who are service to self and under the direction of 4D negative service to self. And so they are allowed to be here by logoic decree. That's exactly why we have these continued highly complex, uh, fear-ridden, war-torn uh, cultural phenomena 
that go century after century. So the solution is logoic. Humanity can't throw off its negativity uh, at, at this point. It's pretty clear. It's going to end before that's finished. We, however, humbly but firmly believe that very vast sectors of the world community will have shed their cross-purposes and gained a passion to live in closer amity and brotherhood and in a spirit of mutual goodwill and cooperation if the great mass of individuals who formed them came increasingly under the profound, ennobling, and divinizing influence of such great and rare spirits like the saint of Vajrashwari with their message of universal appeal and application. You know, <laughs> you can give them gold and, and gems, but actually very few people in this world want it. So, <laughs> there are not many people who, who seem to uh, understand the metaphysics of um, uh, soul selection for incarnation in this cycle, in this collective, on this planet. And so if you understand this and you agree, and if it's true, who knows, I think it's true, uh, then we can see this pretty clearly. Ra laid it out quite clearly. Uh, and um, uh, it's not going to happen that there's collective, spiritual, ennobling enlightenment. In my view, I don't think it's going to happen. I think dimensional shift will happen before there's a unified human collective awakening in love and honesty. Many people will keep growing positive, but um, the collective, I think, is um, in a different condition. He goes on, the publisher is deeply grateful to Sri M.P. Pandit of Sri Aurobindo Ashram Pondicherry, who so kindly undertook and successfully completed the task of translation of this great work as a labor of love. Sri Pandit is well known in the religious and spiritual circles as a scholar and sadhaka of repute and is an author of a number of books on sadhana and philosophy and is therefore eminently qualified for this task. The work is uniformly clear, lucid, and faithful to the original text without losing its exquisite charm, profound meaning, and the pungent force of the original talks of the Master and, no doubt, appears to have been inspired by the Master himself. No doubt, indeed, for the Master himself spoke about the translation in progress at Pondicherry, though this fact had not been communicated to him at that stage. Meaning he knew it was happening, but he didn't communicate that to the translator while it was being done. And the translator, too, we learn, had a unique meeting with the Master in a brilliant form on a subtler plane. All right, so this translation is authorized. Uh, M.P. Pandit. Pandit usually means scholar, so I don't know what that really, what his real name is. M.P. Pandit. M.P. Pandit. The publisher's gratitude is no less great for the illuminating introduction to this book, which revered Swami Chinmayanandaji has so kindly contributed. Swamiji was doubly qualified to fill this role in his own right as a scholar and expounder of dynamic and missionary zeal of our ancient Hindu heritage in general and Vedanta philosophy and yogic knowledge in particular and also as one who knew the master intimately well and drew his grace and confidence in an equal measure on the other. Mm, maybe not much. 
the intimate and terse pen picture in a short compass drawn of the master, his achievements, and the message of universal appeal as embodied in this epistle, which he so aptly calls scripture, is at once authoritative and of deep significance. So that's why they ended up, they could have called it the Chittagash Sutras, um, but they called it Gita. Gita is more like a song. And so, anyway, then, 27 years later, uh, the publisher's son, R. Gopinath Pai, uh, gives the preface to the second edition. Let me just see uh, where we are. And he writes, With the blessings of my father and Guru Maharaj, I have been able to bring out the second edition of this book. A few rare photographs of Swami Nityanand have been added to the new edition. I hope the book will be a great inspiration to all the devotees and sadakas. Our heartfelt thanks are due to the Manipal Power Press, Manipal, for the neat and correct execution of the work entrusted to them. Our thanks are due to the artist, Sri Gopi Kamat, for the attractive cover art blocks so exquisitely drawn and got up. We are grateful to Sri T.R.A. Pai for his suggestions and help with the second edition, and that was written in 1987 in Madras. And then we have the foreword, and that's written by Sri Prakasa. So there are a lot of people weighing in on this. And that's where I'll, I'll read that, and then we'll... <laughs> Start at the beginning next week. Forward. The problem of life and death is of perennial perplexity. Persons of thought through the ages have tried to penetrate the mystery of the self, which each one of us knows as the I within ourselves, and the body through which it functions, and the phenomenon that it senses all around. Many have been terribly worried over the problem, and have given the benefit of their doubts and speculations to the world in words of great beauty. We have the stories of the yoga Varshishta, Varshishta around the anxious questionings of Sri Ramachandra, and we have also similar heart-searchings of the more historical figure of Lord Buddha. Evidently, every person has to solve the problem for himself, if at all. For that, we have, to help. we have the help of large volumes containing the conclusions that the greatest thinkers on this subject in the past have left behind after all their sublime thought and patient endeavor. The question of birth and death. <laughs> this great matter, what Buddhists, Chinese Buddhists call this, the great matter. Birth and death and self and purpose and goal. He goes on. Wondering man still searches the self-same search and evidently is not satisfied with what others have thought and decided. Actually, they just don't find. Thus, we find that in pursuit of the solution and the comforting of one's own heart and mind, the ordinary men and women of the world, in the midst of their heavy day-to-day -day domestic and professional duties, while also facing incessantly the inevitable sorrows that assail them in the form of frustrations due to unfulfilled desires, and passing away of near and dear ones, and the pains of the body it's constantly subjected to, and unable to find, or are unable to find for themselves, any answer to their difficulties. Then they go to others of whom they may hear as masters, so that they may get from them what they otherwise cannot do. 
and get answers to their questions what they themselves cannot give or to their questions that they cannot give answer to. It appears that such questions trouble us in our country more than they seem to trouble folks in other lands. India. There may be special reasons for this in which we need not go here, meaning the metaphysics of India, the landmass and culture of India and history. True. The fact, however, is that large numbers of persons do gather around those whom they regard as spiritually advanced souls to listen to their words of wisdom and to acquire what comfort they can from them. Swami Nityananda of Vajrashwari was among such souls that attract persons from far and near who go to them in a spirit of devotion and learn what they can from them to comfort their disturbed and sorrow-laden minds and hearts and to find answers to their unspoken questions. Pain and sorrow are the lot of all. We know it, and we still cling to the world, which we realize is only too full of these. In the midst of all our sufferings of mind and body, we still desire to live. Apart from a few suicides, and such who voluntarily go to their deaths, do so for very special reasons, even when life on earth becomes, or particularly when life on earth becomes quite burdensome, even those who say or believe that there is a happier world beyond do not really desire to leave the world in which they are. They continue to cling to it anxiously and persistently. Everybody wants to prolong his life here as long as possible, whether he believes or not that there is a life beyond. He, however, knows only too well that death is inevitable and wants to know what it is and what happens afterwards. All these varying complexes produce another great mystery that keeps baffling us all, all the time. As governor of the composite state of Bombay, I had occasion to go to Vajreshwari, having heard of the hot springs there and the health-giving properties of their waters, and of Swami Nityananda, who was in the neighborhood. I was very greatly struck by the Swami's personality and his great human qualities. I immediately and instinctively felt that this differentiated him from the other teachers and preachers whom I had known or, known or of whom I had heard. He scrupulously observed all proprieties of social life and received me with every courtesy. It gave me very great pleasure indeed to partake of his hospitality and to have a conversation with him. I put before him the problem that always troubled me. I find that the spiritual-minded among us leave the world and retire from it feeling that spiritual life was not possible if they continued to live in the world as it is, or if they did live in the world as most of us must always do, they tend severely to divide their minds into two compartments, and while in the one they store good thoughts and aspire after higher values, in the other they entertain worldly ambitions, which they seek to reach in the ordinary ways, not, of, not unoften sordid and unclean. Obviously, enough, we see no contradiction in this. The divided mind and kind of virtue-vice uh, combination of some people, but also some spiritually oriented people. He goes on, My anxiety 
is that the life of the world itself should be spiritualized and that we should be in the world but not of the world and that it should not be necessary to withdraw from life if we want to follow spiritual paths. We should not really feel that life in the world was bound to be bad and so what all that we could do was only to reserve occasionally a few moments in the midst of the busy concerns of life for spiritual thoughts which would really not affect in any way the manner of the performance of our daily tasks. It's a kind of um, spiritual um, disengagement or disengaging uh, but not bringing spirituality into the world. He goes on, unless some coordination, so he's a governor, a spiritually minded governor of Bombay and um, wanted to bring spirituality into society rather than only have spiritually minded people divorce themselves from society or be part of society in which they um, also entertain uh, worldly ambitions and still, in a sense, segregate their spirituality from their worldly engagement. So he goes on. Unless some coordination is found between noble thought and actual conduct, man cannot really progress. And all our longing for spiritual well-being, clean living, human brotherhood, becomes mere empty talk. Unless we are able to implement our higher aspirations in our actual life, they might just as well be not there, for they are of no real value to us in the ordering of our own lives. Meaning if one doesn't really bring, it, bring spirituality into one's daily practical life. One always sees large numbers of persons round our swamis, our religious teachers and preachers, known as devotees or followers, who speak very highly of the masters and praise them for their attainments and teachings, but whose own lives are totally unaffected by them and flow along the usual channels, <laughs> meaning they praise the teacher while they themselves um, don't deeply self-transform. That's very common. Such people feel that their task is done if they but worship their preceptors and contribute some money for their well-being. Can this really suffice? I remember Swami Nityananda listened to me with deep sympathy and appreciated my point of view and the practical difficulties I had placed before him. He was good enough to see the reasonableness of my position and offered to give thought to it. I was hoping to meet him again to pursue the subject when to my great sorrow I learned that he had passed away. In his death, so they, he presented it, but maybe Nityananda didn't have the long conversation that the governor wanted. In his death, we lost a great soul. In his own person, he presented the true unity of the country, for he came from Karnataka with its Kannada language and settled in Maharashtra among the Marathi-speaking people who came to him in large numbers in a spirit of devotion and desire to learn. In this, he showed the physical oneness of the land. Then he also discussed within himself and others the fundamental problems of life, which are common to the whole country and trouble everyone everywhere. We all seek to solve them or to get the help of others in our search. A thousand other matters may also interest different people, but this is the common interest of everyone, the well-being of, of the collective society. The Swami thus, by his work, represented the country's unity on the mental front as well. 
it is good. You see, this is also not long after partition of India in 62. He concludes, It is good that his spiritual thoughts and teachings, seeking to enable the individual to reach perfection and attain true happiness, have been collected together and produced in different languages. I feel honored in having been asked to give a foreword to the English edition. I do so with pleasure and recall with gratitude the fleeting contact I had with the Swami at Vajrasvari. My sorrow is that I could not meet him again. May he rest in peace, and may his thoughts, now published, bring solace to the aching hearts and comfort to troubled minds, and may they so influence all who live and have to live in the world that by their own conduct they may spiritualize worldly existence and make the earth a better and happier place to live in than it is today. And this was written in October 1962 from Sri Prakasa, who was a former governor of Bombay uh, area, the composite state of Bombay. So, good man, and um, really heartful, somebody who cares about the people. Uh, not very common, <laughs> nearly non-existent in government today. So, um, that's all I want to do for today. And next week I want to uh, read from both the PDF of Voice of the Self uh, as well as the uh, Chittagash Gita translation by Captain, I guess it's Captain Hatengi, and that uh, coming from nityanandatradition.org, which we started last time. And um, that should give us a lot, I would think. And perhaps a little bit from the page of uh, ebdeer.net which claims to be the same translation, Voice of the Self, from M.P. Pandit that I'm going to base the talks on. However, some of the text is a little different, <laughs> which is also interesting. So, uh, in conclusion, uh, it's uh, sad that uh, good good uh, political leaders like the ex-governor of Bombay and uh, fine spiritual teaching uh, like Nityananda and many others uh, is uh, much uh, marginalized in this world. And that's just the world that we're living in. And Earth humanity um, has a long way to go before they can stop hurting themselves. And, um, uh, you know, the Terminator said, uh, it's in your nature to destroy yourselves. Uh, maybe. Uh, in <laughs> Likewise, in uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, uh, Keanu the Wanderer says, uh, you know, they're just destructive. Or I think Mr. Wong said, uh, they're destructive and they can't help themselves. Uh, yeah, it's pretty common, and they go running out, out running around out of fear or greed. Uh, so much greed and fear are much in evidence today, and then aggression, the fear supporting aggression, and the greed supporting aggression, 
or greed or aggression in the service of greed and aggression in, in maintaining their fears, uh, certainly with the situation, the coronavirus situation. And so it's a hard time on the planet. Uh, more mental, spiritual, emotional than physical, but the physical as well. So um, all we can do, I think, is uh, continue um, our development in uh, green, blue, indigo, and uh, balance, and um, become settled, more and more settled and clearer. And that doesn't mean really so well. We can try to be well, but the world is very unwell. Humanity is very, very unwell. Not everywhere. In the countryside, commonly not. In many countries, in many portions of many countries, there are many people who are living the same life they lived last year or five years ago, or they're better off than before, or they're just as before, and um, not greatly disturbed. But Westerners, this is a real comeuppance for the Western nations, by the way, uh, are in much distress and turmoil. And that's just at the beginning. And um, it's important to be detached periodically from it and um, not expect to be well when the collective around us is very unwell. Uh, yet um, we can continue growing in wisdom and understanding and care of self and other and balance and understanding. So in any case, I hope you're well. As, enough, as well as you can be. Next week we'll jump into Chittagash Gita from the start, again working from Voice of the Self and then Captain Hatengi's translation uh, side by side. So please take good care of yourselves. See you next time and good night.